Let me know when you got it going. Oh, we're good? Okay, here we go. This is a testimony from one of the teams that just went to India. And uh, going on a missions trip, overseas especially, is like being in the book of Acts. I mean, it really is like you're in the book of Acts. That kind of stuff happens. She writes, God's ways and timings are remarkable. A number of weeks ago, we asked you to pray for a team headed to northern, north, northeastern India state of Bihar. The team was redirected. The team was redirected from Assam to Bihar. Just weeks prior to the departure, we asked the Lord for direction. New plans were discussed and airline tickets were changed. Local partners in Bihar were mobilized and God poured out his spirit. Our American team met together in Delhi for the first time before flying on to Bihar. During the meeting, it came to light that the city we were to work in, Bodh Gaya, close, all right, uh, we'll call it BG, was the birthplace. This is the city they got redirected to, was the birthplace of Buddhism. It gets better. The city is actually famous as the place Buddha received his enlightenment in 534 B.C. It's a place of pilgrimage for people who want to visit the now famous temple at that site in the 80-foot Buddha statue located nearby. Okay, you ready for this? Is Alicia in the house? Is Alicia here today? She's not here today. Shoot. Okay, well, Alicia, um, a, a mom of, she has a couple of daughters that come with her to church. She started coming to church here maybe about six months ago. During the team's time together, one of our team members, Alicia, recalled a dream the Lord had given to her nine years prior. In the dream, Alicia saw a giant Buddha statue. She saw a pair of sandals, which she knew represented the gospel of peace. And she saw that God was sending an army into that place where the statue was. She always wondered what the dream meant. Nine years later, which was just a few weeks ago, Alicia sensed the Lord prompting her to go to India. In faith, she stepped out to join our E3 team and headed for a psalm. The Lord in his sovereignty redirected our team at the last minute. And Alicia found herself headed to BG, home of the world's largest Buddhist statue, to take the gospel of peace. How awesome is that? She was part of the spiritual army the Lord would send to that place. The team was amazed by God before the week even started. Alicia saw that he had been specifically directing her steps. And here's what happened. Close to 2,000 people heard the good news. 591 people made professions of faith in Christ. Many of the new believers were trained in how to share their faith. Sixteen new discipleship or I am second groups were formed. And we had New Testament audio Bibles to share as new believers um, all over that region. How fun is that? Isn't that great? Praise God. Hey, Cecia. Good to see you this morning. A little bambino. Bambina. I'm prophesying about your second child. It'll, it'll be a boy. Amen. Mark, come on up and teach us. Let's welcome Mark. If you uh, have a cat that keeps coming to your front door and you leave a bowl of milk out, the cat will keep coming back to your front door. I'm still here. (laughs) Lighten up, people. (laughs) 
I don't, know, I don't know if I have time to say this, and it's a bit difficult to express, but while I was down worshiping with the kids, I looked over to my right, and I saw these kids kneeling down on the, the ground, you know? I thought, these kids, they sincerely love the Lord. And then I thought, and this is the important part, I thought, how do I know that? How do I know they're not just faking How do I know it's not just religious performance because we learn to look like we love God? How do I know that? And uh, I realized, because I know all these kids and they're crazy and silly and childish and stupid and, and they show that effortlessly just as much as they show their love for the Lord. Then I realized, wait a minute, maybe the fact that we have a church that's full of laughter and freedom, and people get to be just who they are without expectation leads to genuine holiness where you can be yourself. What you see is what you get. And I realized there's a freedom in this church that's just absolutely precious and God-given. And some of the silliness that we exhibit, well, a lot, is, is part of God's design for what freedom looks like in a human life. We just don't take ourselves that seriously. And God, I love that. I just love it. You know, if you don't take yourselves too seriously, you can take him very seriously. And in a strange, sick way, the more seriously we take ourselves, the less seriously we take him. Because our focus is on us and not on him. Anyway, that has nothing whatsoever to do with today's message. But it struck me as as wonderful. So I had to share it. This is the last in the Grace series. It's called uh, Grace Part 7. Which is a Bible number. And uh, the name of the the sermon is Access into the Presence of God. You know, access into the presence of God. Like, big deal. What's the big deal about that? One of the most overlooked and misunderstood aspects of the wonder of God's grace is this fact that grace and grace alone gives us access into the presence of God. And we're going to look at a few scriptures that make this clear, but they're also, I think, somewhat upsetting. There are scriptures that we sometimes don't like to look at and would really rather skip over. Here's the first one, Ephesians 2, 1 to 5. As for you... And uh, he was talking to someone else then, but he's talking to us now. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, that is not a popular concept today in the world. If you go to your next door neighbor and you said, I have a special Bible verse I'd like to share with you. And you say, well, you're dead in your transgressions and sin. uh, You're probably not going to be included in the next block party. But if you go on and, and... Carry on with this verse and you say, in which you used to live, like the rest, you're by nature an object of wrath. That's how God sees you. That'll be the end of your relationship with your neighbor. But because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace. And I add, parenthetically, and grace alone, that you have been saved. 
dead in your transgressions and sin. And we were, now listen, by nature. This is very, very critical concept. We were by nature objects of God's wrath. And we're going to unpack that in a minute. Further on in Ephesians, he says, And he, Christ, came and preached peace to you who were far away. He's talking about the Gentiles. And peace to those who were near. He's talking about the Jews. For through him, now listen, through him we both have access access to the Father by one spirit. Grace and grace alone is our access into the presence of God. Ephesians 3, 8 to 12, Paul's talking about himself and he says, although I am less than the least of all God's people. Now, listen, we can think he's being kind of critical when he says you're dead in your transgressions and sin. And we can think he's being somewhat (laughs) a lot critical when he says you're by nature object of wrath. But obviously he believes it himself of himself. Because he can say this, and he can say this with genuine sincerity, I am the least of God's people. Because he understands his nature. By nature, we're objects of wrath. He can understand who he really is. So when he comes along and says, hey, although I'm the, I am less than the least of God's people, it's not some little figure of speech or a nice, fake, humble way of addressing his subject. He's telling the truth of what he understands of himself and of human nature. Are you with me? This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. We don't know what the mystery is, but he's about to tell us. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, here's the mystery. In him, through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. This is the heart of the message. This is this amazing mystery that we may actually approach God. That we, objects of wrath, by nature, by our nature, actually have access into the very presence of God. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, which is grace, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith slash grace into this grace, this state of existence, which is otherwise impossible for us, in which we now stand. Now, here's the rather shocking truths that come out of these passages. Number one, apart from grace, we're dead in our sin. Do you believe it? Apart from grace, we're dead in our sin. Now, this death is first spiritual, but ultimately it becomes physical and ultimately it becomes eternal. It is a consequence of our nature apart from grace. Number two, apart from grace, we are by nature objects of his wrath. 
When we say by nature, what we mean is this. This is a true and accurate description of who we really are, but it is also a true and accurate description of who he really is. He does not get a choice as to how he reacts to our nature. His nature is perfect. Ours is not. He reacts accordingly. By nature. By the way we are and by the way he is. God doesn't get up in the morning angry. I'm just looking for someone to be wrathful towards. He can't help his reaction to sin. He can't help his reaction to sin. Perfect holiness doesn't do well with sin. It's not that he's crabby. I mean, he's so old he's just got crotchety. Anyone having fun annoys him because he hasn't had fun for a billion years. He's not like me. (laughs) Who envies you, your youth, your energy, and the ability to sleep throughout the night. He's not like that. (laughs) Apart, number three, apart from grace, no one has any access into the Father's presence. He is completely inaccessible to us apart from grace. By nature, not by his crabby choice, but this is the way it is. Number four, because of his grace, we only, we may not only have access into the Father's presence, but we may approach him with freedom and confidence. What the angels cannot do, we do without even thinking about it. Freedom and confidence? Is grace starting to look a little better? Now look, here's the sad fact. Everything I just said, you understand. You've heard it too many times. In fact, you've heard it so many times that it's lost much of its meaning. It's been repeated so many times, it has lost its significance. The wonder of grace isn't all that wonderful. Amazing grace isn't all that amazing because we now live in that state in which we now live, quote unquote. And we've gotten used to it. So when we preach about God's grace, it's just not all that wonderful. I mean, intellectually it's wonderful, but experientially we're not so sure. We have come to the point where we largely take it for granted. Honestly, can you buy what I'm saying? I think we're cavalier about God's grace almost all the time. I, I think it, we've, just, we've just become so used to this, this wondrous place we stand that it's just not that wondrous anymore. But repetition alone is not responsible for us becoming cavalier about grace. The main reason, now we're going to get down to the heart of the message. The main reason we've become cavalier about grace is because we misunderstand the holiness of God. Hello? Please, don't anyone in this room say to yourself, no, I really do understand the holiness of God. Because you are, of all people, self-deceived. Folks, we don't have a clue about the holiness of God. He lives in unattainable light. We throw the word around about his holiness, and we sing about it. But the question is, do we really understand it? 
The holiness of God is introduced to us in the Old Testament through the Hebrew word kados. It's just a short little word, and it should be, because it just means to cut. It's to cut and separate. To cut and separate. This is our first understanding of the holiness of God. And it's where our understanding comes from. We are holy because we have been cut from the world and set apart to the purposes of God. That is the source of our understanding of what it is to be holy. It is to be cut and separated. Set apart for him and his purposes. That we grasp quite well. But here's the part that becomes difficult. God is holy because he is completely separate Cut apart from his creation. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a hip thing these days to talk about pantheism. Behind the environmental movement, and I'm not dissing good stewardship of the earth's resources, I'm just saying that behind the movement, there is a spirit which worships nature because in nature God resides. That's pantheism. And that allows for the wacky, irrational, ridiculous extremes as a false religion that people will go to. It's become very trendy to speak of Gaia, the earth goddess, the mother earth, as if somewhere in creation we find God. We don't find God. We find evidence of God. We don't find God. We find indicators and fingerprints. Mostly we find fingerprints. And Paul promises creation speaks to us of the very divine nature of God. We can intuit much about God's nature from looking at creation, but we will not know him from looking at creation. And if we begin to worship creation in the hope of knowing him, we are lost. That's like going to one of those restaurants where they have photographs of the meals and eating the menu and thinking you ate the burger. You didn't eat the burger. You ate the menu, bonehead. And you're not going to get healthy because of it. When you worship creation, you are not worshiping God. You are worshiping fingerprints of God. And to make that confusion is to end up lost. That's not my point. It's a good point, but it's not my point. My point is that God is completely set apart from his creation. It is what the theologians call his otherliness. God is other than everything we know. He is outside of our entire human experience. He cannot be known that way. You can know about him, but you cannot know him. He is otherly. I know it's a weird word, but you just got to understand. He's so outside of everything we are created to be and live within that the only way you can adequately express his nature is to say he's other than that. Now, I grew up in Canada. I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> so am I. Just the way you said it. I grew, well, here's, here's the sad thing about being a Canadian. Canada... Canadian, uh, Canada is combined of uh, two countries, French Canada and English-speaking Canada. Everyone pretends it's one country, but it's not. And because of that crisis, Canadians live with an identity crisis. They don't know who they really are. So when I grew up and someone said, what is a Canadian? The answer most of my friends would say is, well, they're not Americans. 
I'm not making a joke. I mean, it might be funny, but it's not funny when you live there. What is a Canadian? Not them. See, Canada has the saddest inferiority complex. It's the younger brother syndrome. And I grew up with it all my life. Imagine that you're, you're uh, 10 years old and your older brother's 16 and he just got a brand new convertible and he's dating the head of the cheerleaders and he has a part-time job, there's money in his pocket and he's a really good athlete and you're this little squirrely little 10-year-old kid. You love your brother, but you can't stand him at the same time. Hello? It's a younger brother syndrome. It just plain happens. Well, that's how we would feel. So how do we define ourselves? We're not that. We're not him. I'm not him. I'm not him. So it's a love-hate thing. Okay, look. Sadly, we have to define God outside of grace. We have to define God of, well, he's not that. He's not creation. Even though that's all his fingerprints, he's not that. Well, what is he? I don't know. He's just so completely other. I just don't know. See, we're defining him almost in the negative. Well, he's, he, it tells us things about him, but, but he's not that. He's otherly. He is completely beyond our experience. He is holy, and we are not. And therein is the problem. How can we understand something that is completely apart from all we live? What would something completely other than look like? Now it gets worse. Added to the fact of God's complete otherliness is the fact of his moral perfection. He is only and completely infinitely sinless. We, on the other hand, are not. With his moral perfection added, we now define his holiness as complete, otherly moral perfection. Painful or what? Quite a mindful. Complete, otherly moral perfection. So how do we understand his holiness? Bigger question, how does he communicate his holiness to us in a way that we can begin to understand. This is his issue. He longs for relationship with his kids, but he's otherly. He longs to communicate himself to his kids, and he's used nature, and that gives them some idea of majesty and grandeur and beauty, but it doesn't explain his holiness because they understand creation. He's other than that. And his moral perfection, how on earth, no pun intended, is he going to communicate that? And here's how he did it. And this, for the first time for many of you, is going to make sense of the Old Testament. For the first time, you're going to start to really get the Old Testament. Here's how he did it. Exodus 33:20. No one may see God and live. First Samuel 6:19, but God struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. 
Second Samuel 6, 6 and 7. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God. Why? Because the oxen had stumbled and the ark was going to crash on the ground and be broken. So he simply, in a moment of what he thought was righteousness, hello, doing the right thing, he reached out to steady the ark and the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act which he thought was holy. That's religion, by the way. And therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Leviticus 16, 1 and 2, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. This was the Levitical priesthood. These were the people whose job it was to approach the Lord. And two of them didn't do it right. And they died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover or else he will die because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. Tell him not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place because he's because he'll die. Well, folks, I I think he just communicated his holiness really well. Didn't he? He lives in unapproachable light. He's perfect. He's like nothing you have ever encountered or experienced before. He is otherly. He is holy. And we are. Are not. The Bible says that when Jesus will return in his glory, in his holiness, in his revealed manifest holiness, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. They will do this not because they choose to do it, but because it is impossible not to do so in the presence of perfect holiness. It is the genuine Human response to being in the presence of God. You will not, you cannot help worshiping him. You will worship him. You will bow down. You cannot be in his presence and live. In heaven right now, the heavenly hosts are bowing down before God, shouting, holy, holy, holy. And we feel sorry for them because it seems boring. Sorry, but it's the truth. Every time I read that, I think, what a nasty life that is. Who really wants to do that for eternity? I'm serious. I'm as corrupt as you are, people. So why don't you just admit it? You don't think, if heaven's just sitting there bowing down repeatedly, straining your back, going, holy, 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 and it doesn't ever end, and there's no cheeseburgers, and there's no NFL, and there's none of those things we've come to cherish, what the heck is heaven anyway? And it goes on and on and on and on and on. And it is not because they're forced to do it by an insecure God. It is because they are doing what every created being does in the presence of perfect holiness. That is all of creation's response to perfect holiness. Even the rocks will cry out.
We cannot come into the presence of God and live without grace. Grace is the solution to his holiness and our lack of it. Our flesh, our sinful nature cannot survive his presence, period. His presence is perfect holiness. Now here's the wonder of grace. Grace transforms us into the holiness of God. So we can enter his presence with freedom and confidence. What the angels share to do, we do with perfect confidence and freedom. Folks, is, is grace even remotely amazing? What a privilege. We can come into his presence and worship him for his holiness whenever we want to. We don't need a ritual. We have no special prayers. There is no animal to sacrifice. The only sacrifice we make is laying our lives down in his service to worship him because he alone is perfectly holy. When we come to him, the songs don't have to be our favorites. The band doesn't have to be the best. My week does not have to be one of continual blessing one after another so I can conjure up a spirit of thanksgiving. All I have to do is remember that I have access into the presence of perfect holiness who, wonder of wonders, also happens to be my dad. Grace gives us undeserved access not only into his presence, but into his family as well. Grace is truly amazing. Grace is sufficient reason to worship him forever. Do you understand do you understand what happened to you a couple of weeks ago? I mean, you're his child. You're acceptable to him. He loves you. You can come to him and talk to him anytime you want. Anytime you want. Anytime you want. And he sees you as acceptable and good. No matter how you see yourself. I mean, there's still so much corruption and selfishness and wrong things left inside. But he's not looking at that. He's looking at you like a newborn baby. And you'll always be able to approach him that way. I mean, isn't that just the most phenomenal thing in the world? Isn't that just God? He's holy. And he has accepted us. Let's close our eyes for a minute.
Imagine yourself standing in front of him. It's the brightest light you have ever seen in your life. You would be you would be blind. Except for some reason you're not. And you are surrounded by light. It goes right through you. It penetrates your body. And you look down and in your chest you see your heart and in your heart is darkness. And this light goes right through your heart and removes it. And now you are glowing. Your whole body is translucent. The light is going through you. The light is changing you. All you can see is this amazing light everywhere. There are no shadows. It goes through everything. There's no substance. There's just this overwhelming light. And then you realize all of a sudden, this light is love. I'm living in love. I'm surrounded by love. I'm penetrated by love. I'm full of love. How do you want to say thank you? How do you want to say thank you? Let's worship him for a minute.
want more of you. Lord, I pray that you would open up the eyes of our hearts, that we would be enlightened. That we would know the hope to which we're called. The riches of your glorious inheritance. In your incomparably great power for those who believe. Awaken hearts today, Lord God. Awaken our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in each and every one of us this morning, Lord God, for revealing that without your grace, God, we have nothing. We thank you for your grace. Come on, let's thank you for his grace this morning. Yes, Lord. Standing there worshiping, I asked the Lord what did He, what He wanted to do next, uh, and immediately the image of Him turning over the um, the tables at church. For those of you that don't know that part of the Bible, uh, Jesus went to church and He was so angry. Uh, one one account says that He looked at it and then He went to the mountains and prayed all night. I think it's because He was trying to get a hold of Himself. So he didn't do something he'd regret. And then he came back to church the next morning and he turned over all the tables of the money changers because the house of God had been turned into something it wasn't supposed to be. And it was religion. And so they were trying to attain God's presence and relationship with him uh, through their performance, through the religion. And I said, well, why did you show that to me just now? And this is what I felt like he, he uh, impressed on my heart. And this will be for us today and then we're going to go this whole series on grace if nothing else it is to demolish religion and I think that the tables the Lord is turning over today are the, the tables in our own hearts that we are we've tried to or trying to um, have a relationship with God based on us rather than on him and so if that's you today, I pray that you that your tables in your hearts today of your own performance to impress God so that he will then say, point the scepter out to you and say, yes, I accept you today because you have really impressed me. I hope those tables in your heart have been turned over today through this sermon and that your relationship with him is based on nothing else than his free grace. And if that has happened, it can happen in your heart. Now you've become the house of the Lord. Your own body, your heart is the house of the Lord. And his presence will just fill you up every minute of every day. Because you're relating to him based on his grace, not in your performance. And so I want to ask a question right before we leave today. Will you just close your eyes for a moment and connect with God in your own heart based on his grace? 
for you alone. Just receive it. Just close your eyes and just let his love, let him love you right now. Even though you don't deserve it, just let him love you. Turn the tables over in my heart of self-performance, trying to impress you, and just let your grace rush into me. And as you're doing that, I'm going to ask, is there anybody in this house that has never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior before? You've never invited him to be your Savior, and you want to today. Would you raise your hand right where you are and say, I want to ask Jesus into my heart today for the forgiveness of my sins. Mark said earlier, his grace not only gives you access into his presence, it enables you to become part of his family. You will never make it to heaven by being good. It's only by his grace. If that's you today and you want to know that you are saved, that your sins are forgiven, and that you will go to heaven when you die, will you raise your hand right where you are and say, I need God's grace for salvation this morning. Just raise your hand right where you are if that's you. I see your hand right down here on the front row. Praise God. Anybody else raise your hand? Say, I need to ask Jesus into my heart today for salvation. It's purely by his grace. Anybody else raise your hand this morning? Amen. I see your hand. Anybody else raise your hand this morning? Say, I need salvation by grace and grace alone today. Okay, let's all stand. And and, uh, I'm going to ask, and for the rest of us, May we come to Christ based on His grace and grace alone every day of our lives and not our own performance. The Bible says this, and this is not to embarrass, this is to embrace. The Bible says when one sinner turns to the Lord, all of heaven throws a party. So there are a few seconds ahead of us right now and celebrating. I want to ask those that raised their hands, if you'll just come meet me right down here right now. Don't be embarrassed. This is about embracing you and the family of God. Just come down here, and we're going to celebrate with heaven right now. Amen. Would you come? No performance needed. Amen. Go share the grace of God with somebody. And next Sunday, bring somebody. And let's let Jesus have more children for eternity. Amen. Just don't be afraid to ask somebody. See you next Sunday.